Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, I almost don't have to say anything today because of all of the singing that we've done there. Thank you for not saying amen after I said I don't have to say anything. That would have been a little bit concerning. But uh, no, just to walk that journey through the birth of Jesus all the way to the cross, to the resurrection, to uh, eternity. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the journey in song already today. I'm, honestly, I'm thankful, just like Mark said, to be able to celebrate uh, Christmas Eve on Christmas because it's a good way to start the day out right, you know, to start the day out right, getting our, our minds and our hearts focused on really the real meaning of Christmas. You know, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy the other things. Like, how many guys are eggnog people? How many love eggnog? How many guys hate eggnog? How many of you that are raising your hand right now have never tried eggnog? All right, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I like some of the other things. I like the eggnog. I, I like, you know, I know the Bible says it's better to give than to receive, but let's be honest, how many guys still like receiving gifts? Yeah, I enjoy that. I enjoy a lot of the stuff of Christmas. I enjoy the eggnog. I enjoy most of my family members. You know, all the way around, we enjoy Christmas. Uh, today we're going to conclude our, our Christmas series, but I, I did want to let you know before we dive into it, we're going to start a new series next week. With going into a new year, it's easy to think about uh, New Year's resolutions and things like that. So we're going to study Ephesians chapter 4 starting next week, and we're going to talk about being made new. The Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things are become new. And we're going to dive into that. So I want to encourage you if you're into studying your Bible, which if you're not, you should start. Uh, but I want to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 4 as we dive into that start. Starting, uh, next week. Today we're going to finish our series that we've been calling Help from Heaven. And uh, we all need help. Look at the person next to you and say, you need help. Yeah. I heard about your Christmas tradition. You need help, right? Yeah. We need help. And when you look at the, the scriptures and the different uh, stories in the nativity, or the activity as Ollie would put it, uh, there are four different times that angels appear. And every time the angels appear, they are giving some help from heaven. Tonight, or this morning, we're going to look at the last one, and that is the story of the shepherds. And we're going to look at help from heaven specifically for when we're experiencing failure. When we are experiencing failure. I think we could go to a lot of times in our lives where we have experienced failure. Um, I didn't want to get too heavy too fast, so I thought I might share one that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, why is this front row wide open? I just noticed, like, there's 12 chairs, no one sitting there. How many of you guys want to move up there now and sit in the front? Anybody? Yeah, get out of here. All right, it's just odd. Sorry, that caught me. So, hey, thanks, Ray, for doing that. So look here, when I was about 16 years old, I got my driver's license, because that's what you do when you're 16, at least in my day. Nowadays, kids don't do that anymore, and I don't understand it. But anyway, I turned 16 years old, got my driver's license, had my first car, 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais. Yeah, it was a sweet ride. Not really. Uh, but I got that thing, and I thought it was the greatest ever, and I cruised around town, which took all of about three minutes, because I lived in Danvers, Illinois, uh, which is about 1,100 people, and I'd cruise around town, and I thought, boy, this is fun and everything, but do you remember that road, roller coaster road? You know, all of, everyone has a roller coaster road from their childhood. It's that one road where there's one hill that kind of takes your stomach when you're going the speed limit. And 16-year-old Josh is like, if it takes your stomach when you're going the speed limit, what happens if you're going a few miles an hour over the speed limit, right? 
So I grabbed a couple of my friends, Jamie and Greg. We were in the, all in the front seat because no one was going to experience this from the back seat, right? We're all in the front seat, and we're headed towards Roller Coaster Road, headed for that one hill. And it was an Oldsville Cutlass Calais, and it didn't have a lot of pickups. So there was, a, there was a stop sign right before it, and I thought, we're out in the country the corn's down. I'm blowing this stop sign, right? And so I looked, no one was coming. I ran the stop sign and got up to as high a speed as that thing could go, about 47. And uh, no, it was probably around 80 or 85. And we were getting there. We're all kind of bracing ourselves. We weren't stupid. We put our seatbelts on. And so when we hit that, that, that hill, I mean, I grew up watching the Dukes of Hazard, so it was quiet. But what I heard was, you know, as I'm flying in the air. And it felt like I was about 10 feet off the ground, when in reality, I was probably only about six inches or so. But we got off the ground, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world until we landed. They don't show that part on the Dukes, all right? Dukes of Hazard don't show that part. I mean, you hit the ground, boom, and I'm trying to keep that thing on the, you know, between the ditches, on the road, and we end up going and turning around, and it was, a, I mean, it was awesome. We're kind of high-fiving each other. That was great. Let's do it again. And as we're turning around, there's a red Grand Am that's coming right at us, and they stop in the middle of the road. And I was like, I know that Grand Am. I know that crazy, crazy-eyed woman getting out of the car right now and walking at me. I can hear those curse words coming out of her mouth. It was my Aunt Betsy. She had seen me run the stop sign, and she said, that's Josh's car. He just ran a stop sign. She said, Josh, normally when people go over that hill, you don't see them. She said, I saw you the whole time. And uh, she said, what were you thinking? What were you doing? You know, she was all over it. And, and I thought, you know what, I can, I can get through that until I got home. And my mom and stepdad Jeff were sitting down here and I don't remember exactly how we found out, but when I got home, there was a puddle of oil under the car. So I went to my stepdad, the mechanic, Jeff, and I said, Jeff, something happened to my car. <laughs> Long story short, Jeff says, well, you've got a hole in your oil pan, and you dented the transmission, and this is how much it's going to cost. I was making $4.85 an hour at Godfather's at Normal as a busboy, and I thought, I wasn't expecting all of my money to go towards fixing an oil pan on a car, right? And so as a 16-year-old child, I was devastated. I was thinking, you know, what have I done? You know, I, I was experiencing uh, failure. I, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I, I knew that I had messed up. I, I knew that I, that I knew better. I think everyone in this room knows how that feels. It may not be something that you can look back at and laugh with, uh, like with a 16-year-old making a stupid decision like that. It may be something that's much more serious. When we think about the times that we have experienced failure, Christmas really doesn't help a whole lot. Because if we were honest, we would have to say that Christmas is kind of like a magnifier. It takes the good stuff and magnifies it. Like, if things are going good in your life right now, you're going to have all the goosebumps and feel-goods and all the nostalgia when you go home and you've got the kids together or mom together, dad together, whatever it may be. It's, Christmas is a magnifier, but on the other end of that, if things aren't going good, if you're in the heat of it, like you're experiencing failure or being reminded of a failure, it also magnifies that. If you've experienced that, or if you are in, in currently experiencing that, there is help from heaven in the story of these shepherds. So let's begin in Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse number 8, where the Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, when we read this story, because we've heard it so many times if you grew up in church, 
When we read that story, we kind of just breeze through that. But if someone in, in Jewish culture would have been reading this and it says they were in the same country, shepherds, it'd kind of be like when you were watching a, a, an old uh, Western. You'd hear that, wah, 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 wah. That's why they don't give me a microphone. Um, you'd hear that eerie music kick in because from what I've read about shepherds in that day, shepherds were, the, were considered the outcasts in their society. As a matter of fact, from, from what I've read, they say that uh, shepherds were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Shepherds uh, would not be given a uh, father's blessing if a daughter wanted to marry a shepherd. Um, they were rejected by the religious system. They were not allowed to go in and do the rituals and things like that because they were considered unclean. As a matter of fact, you can see a little bit of that even in the story of David. You remember David whenever the prophet came and he's like, I'm, I'm here, God's going to let me anoint the next king of Israel. It's going to be one of your sons. So he brings all of his sons in, lines them up, and it's not him, not him, not him, not him. And he's like, well, I know God didn't mess up. Do you have any other kids? And he says, yeah, well, yeah I got one. He's out in the field. What was he doing? Shepherding. It was given to the youngest child. It was, it was a position that was not uh, very respected in that time. And I can imagine that if a mother had seen a shepherd in public, she'd hide her kids. And shepherds just kind of accepted this as their lot in life. They lived with shame. They lived with guilt and regret. No doubt there were times where they experienced what it was like to feel unworthy or inadequate or unloved. There are three things I want to point out to you in this story. The first one is a very simple observation that we make from this story. And that simple observation is this. Guilt and shame are for real. Guilt and shame are real things in our lives. And many of us know exactly what it's like because all of us wrestle with guilt and shame to some degree. But I want you to see uh, the guilt and shame that they experience by their reaction to this angel. Look what happens in verse number 9. It says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Everybody do it with me. Ready? Oh! One, two, three. There it is. The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were like, this is awesome! Is that what they thought? What's it say? They were sore afraid. Now, the other three people that we saw that encountered angels, um, one of them was Joseph. His was in a dream. But the other two were Zechariah and Mary. And the Bible says that both of them were troubled. There was a fear that stepped in. But the, the original language, the word that's used here is completely different. The fear that, jo uh, that uh, Zechariah and Mary experienced was a word that meant to be stirred or agitated. But the word that is used to explain the fear that was struck into the hearts of these shepherds was megaphobos. Phobos is the word from which we get phobia, right? Something you're afraid of. And it was mega phobias. Can you remember the last time you were not scared, you were mega scared? <laughs> you ever been there before? The Bible says here that they were mega scared. They had been uh, told throughout their lives by society, even by religious people, they were told how sinful they were. They were told how guilty they were. And now, oh, angels are there. What do you think they were expecting? Why do you think they were scared? Why do you think there was, it was, it was uh, described as a mega fear that they were expecting or that they were experiencing? It was because they were expecting judgment from God. They were expecting condemnation from God. And I think that if we were in their shoes, we would have been very afraid as well. If we were honest with one another today, we'd have to admit that we're really not so different 
from the shepherds, are we? Like it's Christmas morning, we got all decked out. I got my once a year sweater on, right? Uh, we all want to look good when we come in here. I didn't see anyone fighting on the way in. Did anybody see anyone fighting today? Point at them if you did, all right? Um, no, you didn't see anybody fighting. You didn't hear anybody cussing each other or carrying on. You, you didn't see anybody, you know, slamming a, a, a 40 before they came in or something like that. You know, we, we don't see, you know, the, the, the necessarily the bad side of one another when we come in here. We put on a, you know, put on a little bit of a show. But the truth of the matter is, is that all of us are guilty, aren't we? All of us know what it's like to experience shame. Well, right now you may be thinking of someone else that's either in this room or not in this room, and you may be thinking, well, I hope they're listening, or I hope they will listen, because they're right in the middle of that troubling experience where they have failed God, and they have failed themselves, and they failed their family. The truth of the matter is, every one of us are there, maybe just at different levels. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Guilt and shame are for real. I don't think I have to go around the room and you know, take a survey and say, do you think that you're a sinner? Because we all are. And if you're not, we'll just talk to your family and they'll admit it for you, all right? Like, we are all sinners. We are guilty before God. And if we were to examine our lives, you would see that guilt and shame show up in ways that are similar to the shepherds. Shepherds would be out in the field isolated, from everyone else they would steer clear and we tend to do the same thing we like to keep God at a distance we like to keep others at a distance sometimes we do that by avoiding church or church people sometimes we do that by uh, working too much spending too much time on our devices too much time in books or sports or sleep or just being sarcastic and trying to be funny so people don't get close enough well, we may feel like we've been successful at hiding from God or successful at hiding from others what if God sent an angel to you and to me in the same way that he did with these shepherds? Knowing that we are guilty, would our hearts be filled with fear because fear is for real? The second thing, that's the observation, the second thing is the declaration that we see here in this passage. And the declaration, I love this, and it is this, grace is available. You know what grace is? Grace is when you're given something that you have not earned. When you are uh, gifted with something that you have not, uh, that you did not deserve, the message of Jesus is not one of condemnation. The message of Jesus is one of forgiveness. If in your mind, when you think of God, you see him as an angry old man just waiting to throw a lightning bolt down on people that don't do what he says, you've got the wrong view of God. Grace is his desire. It is not condemnation, but forgiveness. And we see this in the declaration of the angels. Look what it says in verse number 10. It says, for the angel said unto him, fear not. Now, if, if the desire was condemnation, oh, and they're all freaked out. The angels could have said, that's right. You better freak out. I know what you've been doing, but we don't see that. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Notice the words, not only does he say fear not, he says, I bring you good tidings. And he doesn't say, I just bring you joy, I bring you great joy. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Here they are in great fear, mega fear, and he says, I've got great joy or mega joy for you. This was not what the shepherds were expecting. You know what the shepherds were expecting? What I got from my Aunt Betsy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I saw that red granddam and I'm like, oh no. And it wasn't going, oh, it was saying something else. Um, 
I was expecting condemnation, and that's what I got. Uh, when I got home, and Mom and Jeff, I'll be honest, I felt pretty condemned. I felt judged. <laughs> Mom's like, yeah, you deserved it, you idiot. <laughs> no, but that's what we expect. And when we, when we have an encounter with God or we're around other believers, we, we expect condemnation. But the good news is that grace is available. If you are feeling the weight of your consequences or the consequences of your failures today, let me boldly declare to you that grace is available. Look what it says in verse number 11. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I love that, that when they heralded the message, and this was a thing that people that had money would do in that day, they would pay a herald to go out and declare the news because you know CNN and Fox News had not been uh, started yet, right? And so they would pay someone to do it, and out of all the people that God could have sent this herald to, he sent them to the shepherds, and the shepherds they told them, unto you is born this day. God's pursuit of them was not to destroy them, but to redeem them. And as a matter of fact, the beautiful thing about this is when it says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, that same phrase is translated in other places in scriptures as gospel. Because that's what the gospel is. It is good news. And it's foreshadowing why Jesus was com- coming to the earth because Jesus wasn't born just to be born in a manger but he was born to go to the cross because that's what the gospel is right that Jesus the sinless son of God died on the cross he was buried and he rose again three days later and when we hear that it's not just something that we talk about at Christmas and not just something we talk about at Easter but it's something for which we celebrate because it is good tidings of great joy because the Savior was not only he did not come to this earth just to be born but to die for our sins. The only way that a person can be forgiven is by understanding this, understanding that it is by grace that we are saved. Grace is available, right? Most people believe, well, I got to, you know, I got to do more good because, you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, if, when I pass away, I need to make sure that I did more good than I did bad. And that might make sense, but we got to remember what the scriptures say. The scriptures say there is none good. No matter how, I, the illustration that I like to use is, let's say, uh, let's say you go rob a bank. Uh, Pat, he's robbed a few banks in his lifetime. But uh, let's say Pat goes and robs a bank. He, he, he clears 30 grand. That's a pretty good day, right, compared to the other ones. And so Pat makes his way, and as he's on his way home, uh, he, he sees a homeless guy. So he gives a homeless guy 1000 bucks, And then he stops by uh, the Fury Rescue uh, Ministries. There he stops by uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, and he's, he's giving them a little cut of the thirty grand, right? And then he gets home, the cops knock on his door, and they say, we're here to arrest you. And Pat says, it's okay. I don't have to go to jail. And they're like, what? He says, yeah, I did some good stuff. I gave, I gave away some money, right? Let's go talk to that homeless guy. Let's go talk to these two organizations that I gave money to. You think the cops are going to be like, oh, we didn't realize that. You know where Pat's going? To the pokey. That's what my mom used to call it, the pokey. Uh, you're going to jail, bud, right? Because it doesn't matter how much good you did, you're still guilty, right? And when we stand before God, we are like the shepherds, and we are absolutely guilty before him. But the good news is that grace is available to those of us that are guilty. The Bible tells us in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, which is Jesus, is come to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came to this world, to seek and to save that which was lost. We see this with the shepherds, but you know another person that we see this with is later on in the book of John, we're told about a, a woman that was caught in adultery. 
You remember this story? If you, you may not remember the story, but I promise you'll probably remember the phrase that was used because what had happened is she had been caught in adultery. The Bible actually says, in the very act. And they bring this woman uh, into a place and they bring him before Jesus and you got all these religious people around and they look at Jesus, they're trying to catch him. And they're like, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. What should we do to her? I don't know if you remember what Jesus said. The law said they could stone her to death. That was the punishment for that sin during that time. And Jesus stooped down and he told them, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Remember that? By the time he stood back up, everybody was gone. And he asked the woman, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. They're not here. And Jesus' answer was, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In your Bible, it probably says this at the top of it, the woman taken in adultery. But years ago, I heard someone say this, and I loved it, and I, I, I wrote it in my Bible as well. I crossed out that word adultery and put the woman taken in grace. That's what we see with the shepherds. They're guilty. That's what we see with the, uh, this, this woman taken in adultery. And the same thing is seen in us. Jesus is after us, but not in the way that we think. He was pursuing them before they were pursuing him. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Peter that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The last thing that we see is there was an anticipation, and the anticipation was this. The time is now. In verse number 11, it said, unto you is born this day. They had uh, anticipated, the, I believe the angels had uh, anticipated how this was going to, to go. And I love how the angel didn't even consider that the shepherds might not uh, want to go see Jesus, right? He's like, there's, you know, Jesus is born, like, He's over here, you got to go see him. And the, the shepherd didn't even anticipate that they would go, nah, that's okay, you know. He automatically just assumed they would go. As a matter of fact, you see that in verse number 12 where it says, verse 11, unto you is born this, uh, this day, uh, the seed of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And in verse 12 it says, and this shall be a sign unto you when you get there. Like he just totally anticipated them responding to this message. He says, this shall be a sign. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It may be hard to believe that grace is available when shame and guilt feel so real, but I love that the angel says, the time is now. Go see for yourself. Like the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. The things that they saw when they got there was proof of God's pursuit of them. I can't tell you how many times uh, throughout my life where I've been down and out, you know, and just struggling because of failure. And someone shoots me a text. They just happen to send me a text. What a coincidence. Or they just happen to call or I happen to run into them. There have been multiple times, dozens if not hundreds of times, where I've called or sent a message or ran into someone. It happened twice this week where two different instances someone said, I think God's trying to get my attention. I think that God is trying to speak to me here because of the divine timing that is there. Listen, what is God doing in your life that proves that he's pursuing you? Has someone been reaching out? Have you happened to cross paths with others? God has a way of lining up people and circumstances that match exactly what we need when we need it. I love that he anticipated them responding. The other side of this 
And I think this is something that just brings a lot of uh, celebra- cele- a spirit of celebration in my heart. Is not only did they anticipate the shepherds going, but they had anticipated that moment since the beginning of time. And I'm not even going to try to read between the lines, but what I do know in the scriptures is that angels are created beings. And angels were around before the earth was created, if I understand the scriptures right. And the Bible also tells us that God knew before he created man that man would sin. And I also know that the Bible tells us that he had a plan for how to redeem mankind before he even created men. And that is, it says that Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so when you think about all this going on in heaven, the angels had to be aware that these things were going to happen. And so they had to have been anticipating this. All of heaven had been waiting for this moment. They had watched God create the world. They had watched man sin in the garden. They had watched all of the pictures of Jesus throughout the Old Testament and now there's finally coming to the point where the Savior is making his way in and this plan is coming together I uh, love it when a plan comes together uh, those of you that enjoy the A-team um, when a plan comes together uh, we uh, coaching basketball a few years ago we were down by four and our basket was on this end and we had the ball on that end excuse me we were down by two and we had four seconds left in the game and um, we called a timeout, uh, four seconds left, we've got to inbound it and get it all the way down there, and I got all the guys together, and I said, here's what we're going to do, and they never listened, and so I didn't expect them to listen this time either, um, but I said, I want you to do this, you do that, and one guy, I want you to come around, I want you to come to this sideline, and I want you to set a screen, I want you to get the inbound to Andrew Cushman, and when Andrew comes down, I want you to set the screen for him, and let's get Andrew a, a, a decent three-point shot. Okay, let's go, and I had zero expectation of it actually happening, you know. And I wish I had the video I looked around for. I couldn't find it. But um, uh, Andrew gets the ball inbounds. He's coming down. Four, three. The guy actually sets the screen. And I was like, what's happening? You know? And it's right at half court. He takes about two steps past half court and kind of just chucks it. And literally, the ball is this far from his hand when the buzzer goes off. And as it goes out, it goes flying. Boom! Made it in the basket. And they, I mean, we went nuts. How many of you guys have ever been somewhere where you made a last second shot or something big like that? When a plan comes together, it's like, I, I want to scream, but I can't. It might blow your ears out with the microphone and everything. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, and everybody's jumping up and down. They're chest bumping each other, you know, and we knew we were going to do this. No, you didn't, you know, and all that. But you love it when all that, that plan comes together. And listen, that's what happened on this night. I don't think it's been said more eloquently than in a song that I ran across. And these are the words. It says, Like a drama unfolding, the curtain was opening. An audience of angels was holding its breath. A census, a manger, two travel-worn strangers, the stage was finally set. Angels folded their wings at the throne, worshiping. As God whispered, I love you, my son. Jesus took off his crown and laid it down and said, Father, thy will be done. The time had now come for God's only son to be born as a light in a dark, lonely place. So he stepped from heaven's hall to Bethlehem's stall where a star lit his newborn face. 
Then God called to Gabriel with gladness and tears, play the trumpet, the horns and the strings, tell the shepherds and the wise men and all who will hear, command all of the angels to sing, fill the sky with your voices and sing. And that's what we see in these verses in verse 13. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This is something that they had been waiting for for centuries and centuries and finally it's happening and it's like they just can't contain it anymore. It's kind of like when Jesus is rolling into town just before his crucifixion and they were, they were crying out and they were worshiping Jesus and they were like, shut them up. And they said, we can't shut them up because if we do, the rocks are going to cry out, right? We don't see rocks crying out here though. We see angels crying out because this was the plan for the redemption of mankind before the earth was even created. Beautiful anticipation and the time was now. So let's see how it played out. In verse 15 it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, Ooh, that was wild. (laughs) They said, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came, what are those next words? With haste. They were in a rush, right? They were in a hurry. There was, there was some pep in their step, right? And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they did the same thing the angels did. They couldn't hold it anymore. They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept, in, uh, kept all these things and pottered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, doing again what the angels did, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. A huge difference between where the angels found them and where they end up leaving off in this story. They went from being outcasts to being ambassadors. Those that were hidden in shame are now proclaiming salvation. But don't miss the verse that made the difference. Verse 15. And it came to pass that as the angels went, the shepherds said one unto other, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and let's see this thing. Imagine the faith that it would have taken to show up at that thing. Like, how many of you guys are going to a family get-together sometime in the next two days? Anybody going to a family get Almost every one of us. How many of you guys have ever thought, you know what, that family get-together over there sounds pretty cool. Like, I'm going to that one without an invite. <laughs> like, have you ever rolled into a, a party, like, I, that crashed it, whatever they want to call it, and just rolled in? Like, no one walks in with confidence, like, hey, I'm here. You're kind of real timid and shy, like, hope no one sees me, <laughs> and you're taking what you can take before you get caught, you know? That's kind of what's going on here. They, they, they roll into Bethlehem, and, and what we see happening is that they put themselves in a position where they were at the mercy of those whose intentions they could not guarantee. They put themselves at the mercy of people, and they had no idea how they were going to react. Listen, the beauty of the story of the gospel, the beauty of the story with these shepherds is that we have been told how God is going to react. And what he has told us is that if we will come to him humbly admitting that we are sinners, admitting that we deserve punishment for our sin, but believing that Jesus loved us, that he gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead, if we will believe that, the Bible tells us that we are not condemned, but we are made a child of the living God. God takes his, our, excuse me, our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness it's a beautiful picture that we see here 
But what has happened is one of the main reasons that we continue in dysfunction after failure is because we don't have an accurate view or understanding of Jesus nor the gospel. And the accurate view of Jesus and the accurate view of the gospel is what we see with the shepherds. And that is that God does not come to condemn, he comes to redeem. He doesn't come to destroy, he comes to save. We saw this. In my story with the car, it was when I finally had to humbly say, all right, Jeff, I jumped the Oldsmobile. (laughs) Can you help a brother out? 16-year-old Josh doesn't know how to change an oil pan. 44-year-old Josh doesn't know how to change an oil pan. When I admitted, I confessed, I can't do it, but I know you can. He helped me. Last week, I brought our daughter, Emma. I'm not sure if she's in here, but our daughter, Emma, has epilepsy and had to have brain surgery and everything. And it was only when we kind of realized we can't do this on our own. I need your help. That they were able to help our daughter with that. And the same thing is true of salvation. We have to come to that point where we look at our lives and go, my life is just as jacked up as those shepherds. I am just as guilty. I have just as much shame. But I'm thankful that Romans 5.8 tells me, while I was yet a sinner... Christ loved me and died for me. He didn't die for good little Christian people. He died for sinners. The way to to healing in our shame is the same for us as it was for them. It is looking to Jesus. They said, let's go see. I want to ask you, if you've never done that, will you? The last three weeks in a row, we had another one last week, but three weeks in a row we've had people that said, I want to go see and we've had five people in the last three weeks that have said, I want to believe the gospel because I need Jesus. I am a sinner and I need Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.